Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Jonah. And I'm Mariana, and this is Conservation Chronicles, coming to you from my home studio where I am recording with a plastic microphone. <laughs> you know, that's one day is probably going to end up in the belly of a whale <laughs> when it gets washed into the ocean, because that's where plastic ends up. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Mm-hmm. Plastic. <laughs> Our good friend Plastic. Yes. We all know him. We all use him. Most things that we own and use are made of plastic or have plastic in its construction materials. Um, so we want to we want to talk about plastic today as it relates to the environment and wildlife because this is a major issue that... It's not an it's not a new major issue, but it's a major issue that is starting to take center stage in the world, which is which is terrific um, because plastic is much convenience and as it brings and as it's allowed us to advance in our society and our technologies, um, it's it's created a lot of issues that have been overlooked for too long and. Yeah, so how about we start off with with some definitions of, about what we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, so our major or so our our main concern right now with plastic is what we call single-use plastic, and that's disposable plastic that you only use once before you toss it away. So we're talking plastic bags, straws, water bottles, um, packaging for your uh, produce, cutlery. Uh, plastic plates, things like that. So single-use plastic is is the major problem um, when it comes to plastic in the environment. Um, basically, trash that you pay for. <laughs> yes, that's right. When you come down to it, that's basically what it is. Yes. <laughs> so just it, think about that for a second. You are buying trash when you buy those things. Yes, that's very succinctly put. <laughs> so, yeah, so we're talking about plastic today because as Jonah said it, it's been in the in the news lately National Geographic is running a campaign right now called Planet or Plastic and it's really bringing the uh, the plastic problem to light and so we want we want to talk about some of the articles that have really caught our attention and the attention of the public um, as well as why plastic um, is a problem and what we can do about it and uh, even discuss some solutions. Yeah, so before we get into um, the heart of, of this issue and eventually get to the solutions, we sort of want to um, cover plastic in the news because, like we've said, it's, it's starting to take center stage. And there's been several news pieces that have come out in the past month that, that have stood out to us about this topic. Um, and I think the most shocking one that I want to start off with, because I keep bringing this, uh, this story up when I get out my plastic soapbox when I'm talking to people, um, was last month in June, there was a pilot whale that washed up on the beach, a beach in Thailand. And when they went to necropsy the whale, to determine how it died, 17 pounds of plastic shopping bags were found in its stomach, which, like, 17 pounds is 
an absurd amount of plastic bags. Like, I, how much? I don't even know how much one of those like plastic bags weighs, but I would love to know the number of those yep. that it takes to make seventeen pounds. A lot. Um, definitely a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's like <laughs> Mariana was trying to say that. <laughs> Okay, 17 pounds. I'm going to get this right this time. 17 pounds is 1%, about 1% of the weight of a pilot whale, which may not sound like a lot, but it is. Um, I mean, if you took 1% of plastic and put it in your stomach, it would kill you too. So, Yeah. So that's, I think that is an example of a story that is one of the reasons why the issue of plastic is starting to take center stage just because it's so shocking. It's also, you know, people have emotional reactions to it, including ourselves, because that's, it's horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the kind of story that as, as horrible as it is, that can promote change. So that's why I wanted to start off with that because that just, that's just an example of how plastic can impact the, the environment and the wildlife in the environment. Yeah, the, the oceans are so vast, um, as we know, and this is one whale. And to imagine that there's enough plastic in the ocean for a single whale in these vast oceans to consume 17 pounds of it, just statistically speaking, that's incredible. But there is enough plastic in the oceans for that to happen. And that's basically the, the crux of the problem um, of what we're talking about is, you know, plastic especially single-use plastic, ends up everywhere. I, there's, it, it can end up anywhere and everywhere uh, and has um, on our planet. So it, it's a huge problem for ocean life as well as terrestrial life. And we are starting to um, shed better light on the impacts on wildlife and the environment through new stories like this, through photography and videography. And people are really noticing Agreed. Um, so moving on, the second news piece that we want to cover um, was from last month as well when there was a petition. Um, I don't know who exactly came up with the peti- petition, but a petition for McDonald's to get rid of their single-use plastics like straws and cutlery. And the shareholders of McDonald's had a vote and they decided to reject that proposal to phase out plastic straws. Um, And I'm just going to read this quote from the board um, to the BBC. Um, They said, quote, the requested report is unnecessary, redundant to our current practices and initiatives and has the potential for a diversion of resources with no corresponding benefit to the company, our customers and our shareholders, end quote. Which is, uh, uh, I don't even know how to respond nicely to that <laughs> quote because it's just it's just p- pure ignorance yeah. um, to say that. It's so short-sighted for, for them to, to respond in that way, that, that there's no corresponding benefit um, to the company, our customers, and our shareholders when, when the benefit is, is to everybody in the world. Yeah, and so they, they said that, oh, this request is redundant to their current practices and initiatives. And that's in reference to their 
supposed plan to phase out plastic straws um, and to phase in biodegradable straws and to look for plastic alternatives um, or to test plastic alternatives rather in certain markets like the UK and Belgium. However, I, I just take issue with um, these companies that that propose plans like this to, to phase in biodegradable straw, phase in biodegradable straws or phase out plastic straws with a very unclear process and timeline of how that's going to go. I think they said by, by 2025 or 2030, I don't have the article pulled up. However, um, that's, you know, they, they have the ability to, to make change now Mm -hmm. and to put it off like that. I understand it can't happen overnight, but this quote demonstrates that, you know, oh yeah, we're doing it, but it's not our priority. And I think if you look at, you know, also in the news right now, there's companies like SeaWorld, Ikea, and the Royal Caribbean who are doing away with plastic straws and bags in the next year which is a very reasonable timeline um, and and good on them um, for doing that. And that demonstrates, you know, some of those companies are huge. Uh, I mean, the amount of plastic that those places produce in one day is probably enough to bury you alive. And so it's not like McDonald's isn't comparable. Obviously, McDonald's is also huge, but it's possible to, to do it quicker, but it just demonstrates that it's not their priority which is disappointing to say the least. Yeah, it is disappointing. You have a company who is equally charismatic as SeaWorld, Ikea, and I don't know if I would call the real <laughs> charismatic, but you have these companies that everybody knows these names. Everybody knows the world, McDonald's, SeaWorld. Um, so it's, it's important that their narrative also match um, their actions and to, to tell us that they're, they're, going to take at least five years to phase out plastic straws and then come out with a quote about the redundancy of it. It's just the narrative doesn't match um, match the supposed effort. So as you said, the, the timeline that SeaWorld and, and the others have put up, it's much more reasonable. Um, it doesn't take five plus years for a large company with the resources to do this. So... We'll see. I mean, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll defer my final judgment until I see what, what they do. But if it takes five years, I mean. <laughs> yeah, a, a lot's going to happen in the next five years yeah. uh, with the amount of plastic in the world. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, we're almost at a, a point of no return um, with plastic, which, which we'll get into. But um, it's definitely a, a, a crisis issue. Yeah, and because it's a crisis issue, we have um, – it's becoming actually really political, this issue of plastic, especially plastic in the oceans. And just last month as well, in June, several of the dominant world leaders, I guess I could say, um, met in Quebec at what was called the G7 Summit. And they were going to be addressing the, um, the Paris Climate Accord, but also a new topic that they were going to work to address was um, ocean pollution, ocean pollution, particularly from plastics. And the United States was 
part of this summit and and I say was because after the these countries came up with um, their plan on how to fight ocean pollution, um, which I think they called like it's called a, a communique um, this this agreement after they wrote it up and Donald Trump saw it, he decided to pull the U.S. from this summit in this agreement, largely because he was having a little squabble with Canada because of the tariffs that Trump has imposed on countries like Canada and Canada's response by imposing tariffs on the United States trade. Um, so, you know, it's it really is ridiculous and frankly I personally think sort of childish this um, you know because they're having this disagreement on this trade issue it's going to negatively impact the efforts to reduce ocean pollution because you know we don't know exactly we all we know is that that was one of the reasons that Trump referenced on pulling out of this G7 summit agreement and encouraging U.S. politicians to not support it. And, you know, even though the United States is not the highest producer of plastic in the world, we're actually pretty far down there on the list um, compared to a lot of other countries. We are an example to other countries. And also, in addition to being an example to other countries, we produce a huge amount of plastic and a, a, a large volume of, I forget how this, this Nat Geo article said it, but a large volume, a small percentage of plastic in a huge volume of plastic in the world is the equivalent to a large percentage in a small volume. Mm -hmm. So even though relative to other countries, we don't produce that much plastic. We still produce a mind-boggling amount of plastic. So, you know, for us to, for Donald Trump to, to pull out of this agreement is, again, very disappointing. Yeah, it is disappointing. And it's, it makes it even more difficult for us to say where our government stands on this issue because they are vacillating between being committed, being non-committal about it. And one of the commitments that the U.S. has made is to the Global Program of Action uh, for the... Okay, the full title is the Global Program of Action for the Protection of the Marine Environment from Land-Based Activities. And this is, um, like the Climate Accord, it's um, a multi-nation agreement that we'll just call Global Program of Action <clears throat> excuse me, it's a multi-nation agreement to address the problem of plastic waste and overproduction. And the U.S. is a member of this agreement. And every five years, the participating nations come together and review their progress on all of their current initiatives. And we keep each other accountable this way. This is what these international conventions and international agreements are for. They are for allies to keep each other 
accountable for their actions, their decisions, their policies on a particular issue, this one being plastic. So it seems like the U.S. is really committed to uh, the marine environment. And this, this particular program of action includes um, all manner of pollutants and threats to the marine environment, um, not, not specifically plastic. But there's an additional agreement that birthed from this program of action called the United Nations Clean Seas Agreement. And this one in particular does specifically only address plastic pollution and plastic trash. This is part of the global program of action. However, the U.S. is not participating in the U.N. Clean Seas Agreement. So there's, without getting too much into the politics of it, the U.S., um, currently, our current administration in the United Nations are butting heads over many issues, and that could be why we are not part of the United Nations Clean Seas Agreement, but almost every other Western country is, um, and, and all over the world, really. If, there are 44 participating countries, um, just to name a few, Canada, Brazil, the Dominican Republic, most of Scandinavia, most of Western Europe, the UK, South Africa, Jordan, Kuwait, New Zealand, the Philippines, all over the world, um, but not the United States. So it, it just calls into question our commitment to protect the marine environment, that we would, we would be part of this program of action, but we would refuse to participate in the very targeted and specific Clean Seas Agreement. Um, so that how are we... How are we supposed to, as you said, how are we supposed to be an example to other nations if if we're not 100% committed? This is an issue that we have to be 100% committed to and just to be partly committed and, and just to, to um, be fickle about a commitment is not a good message to send to the world. Yeah, and meanwhile, over in Europe, um, there's sort of this race to reduce the amount of plastic. Um, so the VP of the EU, um, Franz Timmermans, last month shared a, a plan that they have to prohibit single-use plastics like straws, cutlery plates, takeaway containers, and drinking cups. And they're sort of leading this this race, as it's called, this race to reduce. And you know we all know about... Um, Brexit and the UK leaving the European Union. And so amid all of the, the political strife with that exit, um, Timmermans sort of playfully on Twitter um, challenged the UK to, to, to prohibit plastic products. And because of, because of the, the tensions and the relationship between the UK and the EU right now, I think his goal is to, you know, make them want to beat the EU, make the UK want to beat the EU in this, which, you know, it's a, it's a playful thing, but it's a really, I think it's a really powerful, um, powerful way to get, to, to start having change happen. Um, and, you know, the UK is already working towards banning, banning plastic straws, and they've already banned microbeads in cosmetics. So, like, Facial scrubs, those little beads in that, those are made of plastic. But in May 2019, the, the EU is going to be voting on this legislation to to ban single-use plastics. 
And I mean, they're, they're even, Timmermans even spoke of taking action on those manufacturers of plastics um, in which there's no alternative to plastics like, you know, bottles um, and forcing them to contribute to recycling and waste management with the amount of money they're making. So maybe even like imposing a tax on those companies that make plastic products based on what their track record has been for encouraging recycling. So those that have really promoted for their products to be recycled, you know, will have will be taxed less, and those that haven't focused on recycling at all will be taxed more. And so it's a really interesting um, idea, and I think it's really progressive and, and creative, especially this Twitter challenge um, between the EU and the UK. Yeah, I love the way they're they're shaking up the narrative with this social media challenge, which I, I wouldn't have known about this uh, race to reduce without um, without them shedding light on it in this in this like you said playful way on Twitter and so it, it really makes the the issue more interesting to people and it makes them pay attention and uh, by by making it a race um, it's definitely going to uh, encourage people to participate more especially if, it, if the race is between the UK and the EU um, during in, in today's climate um, Brexit climate so yeah so um, you know why why is all of this in the news right now? Um, why is plastic taking center stage right now? And it's like I said in the in the beginning, it's it's not a new issue. Plastic has been around for for decades, and plastic has been polluting the environment for decades. And you know, I don't think we can really point to one specific reason why plastic is becoming this bigger issue, especially on a political stage but you know something that I read that I thought was sort of interesting was how the Malaysian Airlines flight 370 disappearance could have you know made people more aware of the crisis of plastic so if you remember several years ago when that um, airplane went missing and you know it was a a very global story everyone was paying attention to it um, they were searching for this missing plane, and at one point, they saw something in the water near where they thought it might have crashed, and turns out it actually wasn't the plane. It was a giant floating mass of plastic, and that giant floating mass of plastic was right there, center stage on the news. Everyone was looking right at it, and you know, if people weren't already aware of the issue, they definitely were now because they saw the size of this, the, just this one um, floating mass of plastic. And so that was sort of, I think, an interesting idea that, you know, an event like that that gets global attention could bring this issue to to people's attention um, more than it had been before. It, it definitely was a striking image to see on the news and as you said, this has been an issue for a long time. Um, but currently, with that uh, Malaysia Airlines incident, and with the with the increased um, attention that that brought to plastic in the water, more news is being more news is being produced um, about plastic. And, and as we mentioned before, National Geographic has this Planet or Plastic campaign, 
and we encourage you to check it out. There's some really powerful photography um, and reporting um, that they've done so far, and it will really shock you, I think, if you're not already shocked by this problem. It'll really shock you to see um, how much of a, of a problem it is worldwide. Um, plastic waste and um, single-use plastic just floating around everywhere. I think we, we keep talking about how big this issue is, but a lot of people may be wondering how did we get to this point, um, especially if it's been known to be an issue for a while. And so I want to sort of get into, in not too much detail, but the history of plastic, just so we know, have a little idea of, better idea of what plastic is, where it came from, and how we've gotten to this crisis that we're currently in. Um, so it, it's really started in 1869 when a New York firm offered $10,000, which was a lot of money in 1869, for someone to create an ivory substitute since elephants were quickly declining and ivory was being used for piano keys and billiard balls and other popular items. And so th this firm just was calling for people to come up with a substitute so that um, something that was more sustainable and something that wouldn't be negatively impacting elephants. So this inventor named John Wesley Hyatt invented what's really considered the first synthetic polymer, um, which is what plastics are. They're, they're polymers that are made up of chains of molecules, and a lot of times they're derived from things like fossil fuels and one thing that characterizes plastics polymers is that they aren't found in nature. So they're basically this human manipulated, these human manipulated molecules that are put into um, these chains of, of monomers and, you know, in order to create strength and, or, you know, make something lighter, make something more durable and, so what um, John Wesley Hyatt did was create the first polymer. However, it wasn't 100% synthetic um, because there were some natural natural molecules in it. However, that's what's considered the, the start of what we now call plastics. Um, and this one article from sciencehistory.org that is talking about the history of plastic, I just want to read what it said because um, I think it really summarized John Wesley Hyatt's invention pretty well. So it said, this discovery was revolutionary. For the first time, human manufacturing was not constrained by the limits of nature. Nature could only supply so much wood, metal, stone, bone, tusk, and horn, but now humans could create new materials. This development helped not only people, but also the environment. Advertisements praised celluloid as the savior of elephants and the tortoise. Plastics could protect the natural world from the destructive forces of human need. End quote, which is a really ironic um, statement because at the time it really was helping to protect the natural world. However, it snowballed into something that was causing a lot of harm. And so the next you know, jump ahead to 1907 when the first 100% synthetic plastic is considered to be invented by a man named Leo Backel. I don't even know how you say his last name. <laughs> Backland, um, 
And so, like I said, that means that this uh, invention was not made of anything that was found in nature, no natural molecules. Um, and he created this synthetic plastic to be an, uh, an electric insulator because at that time the U.S. was rapidly electrifying, so they needed things to insulate these electrical wires. And also at the same time, um, oil companies had a lot of waste gases like ethylene, and they were just sitting there. They weren't being used for anything, and so that's when it was discovered that these waste gases could be used to make plastic polymers. And that was really the birth of com completely synthetic plastics in which nothing was found in nature, which really changed really the trajectory of history. People don't really think about that, how much plastic has influenced history, but it really has, particularly in World War II, which is when plastic production increased by 300% to meet the needs of what was a really industrial war. So, you know, you think of nylon parachutes, ropes, body armor, plexiglass for aircraft windows. That's when plastic was really taking off because it was creating things that were helping um, the United States especially be more effective in the war. And when the war ended, these plastic products started to outcompete products that could be made from natural materials like steel, wood, paper, glass. And really, post-World War II is when we enter this period of plastic history that led to where we are now. And I think really the, the 50s is when this idea of single-use plastics came about. And there's this National Geographic article from their June issue has discusses or briefly touches on this um, this photo from the magazine Life's 1955 article, and this this photo is entitled "The Throwaway Living," and it's a really mind-boggling image that could probably I mean it would definitely fit in today's um, plastic culture. You know, you could use this as an advertisement for plastic products nowadays. It would fit just as, as well as it did back then. But it's, it's this image, um, a black and white photo of this family just throwing hundreds of single-use plastic items into the air, just like rejoicing sort of as they do it, just throwing plates and forks and knives and things. And it really was, it was celebrating the dawn of single-use plastics because of their convenience. And, you know, it talked about, oh, mom doesn't have to do dishes anymore and, and things like that. And that's really w where we enter this culture of plastic for convenience and single-use plastic, really, where you could just throw things away, not have to worry about cleaning them up, not have to think about where they're going. They're going to the trash and you don't have to worry about them any, anymore. And, you know, when that started, it almost had, I mean, immediate effects because that was in the late 1950s, and already by the 1960s, plastic was being observed in the ocean. So that just shows you how quickly our garbage enters the environment, especially the ocean. And so that's just a little background about, about um, 
the history of plastic that I think helps highlight how we got to where we are now and why it's such a big issue and how long it's been going on for. Because, you know, it has been going on for a long time, but relative um, to the rest of history, it's it's not that long that we've created this crisis, um, which is pretty pretty crazy, the rate at which it's advanced. Yeah, so that that photo, which we'll include in the episode notes and, and on our Facebook page, it's really quite haunting a photo um, to look at now when you consider the numbers that we're about to give you and just consider the the way we think about plastic today, which hasn't changed much in the last 70 years. But Jonah got a, a bunch of numbers for us. The I, One of the most powerful numbers, I think, um, as Jonah was just getting at, 9.2 billion tons of plastic has been produced since its invention. But it's only in the past 15 years that half of that has been made. Um, so as Jonah was saying, it, it, the production has really ra- ramped up in the 21st century. And, and it's just astonishing to think of, of that kind of number, especially because this has been a problem as we just said, the first plastic observed in the oceans in the 1960s. So the fact that we are we have increased our production by so much is pretty astonishing. And there are a lot of a lot more astonishing numbers here. Yeah, so of that 9.2 billion tons of plastic that's been produced since its invention, 6.9 billion tons of that has become waste. Which I just did some quick calculations because a blue whale is the biggest thing we can think of. A blue whale weighs 150 tons. So the amount of plastic that has become waste is equivalent to 46 million blue whales, which is probably like more blue whales than have ever existed in history, I would imagine. Like that's 46 million blue whales worth of waste. And that's just plastic. It's... It's mind-boggling, and the fact that 40% of the world's plastic produced every year is disposable is pretty disheartening. Um, Each year, the world produces 448 million tons of plastic, so like I said, 40% of that is disposable, which means that 40% of that is ending up in the ocean at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, how long it takes you to get there, who knows? But that's a lot of plastic ending up out there in the world. And less than one-fifth of it gets recycled globally. In the U.S., it's less than 10%. And we'll probably do, we'll probably be able to do a whole episode on recycling because that's a major issue as well. Um, but that's, that's a lot of plastic that's not getting recycled. Um, it's just being tossed. And like Jonah said, it's just going to end up in the oceans. And 6.3 billion tons of all the plastic that's ever been created has never been recycled. So really, out of the 9.2 billion tons ever created, that would be 0.6 billion tons has been recycled. That calculation is correct. Sure. Which is a tiny fraction when we're talking billions of tons. Oh my goodness, yeah. A tiny, tiny fraction. A shameful fraction, actually. Um, it's shameful that, yeah. that, 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 that we've allowed that to happen. So how much of that has ended up in coastal ocean waters? 5.3 to 14 million tons. 
which that's that's a big range because um, obviously it's impossible to estimate exactly. But if you go, if you you know take the middle of that, which I think is like eight million tons, that's equivalent to five plastic grocery bags stuffed with plastic trash on every foot of coastline around the world, which is a scary image because every time I think of that statistic, I imagine that because there are beaches where the substrate is plastic, um, whether it's full piece of plastic or plastic that has broken down as it's floated around the water. But that's, that's a lot of plastic in the ocean. And, you know, no one knows exactly how long that will take to degrade. You know, estimates range from 450 years to degrade on the low end to never degrading, which both of those numbers are unacceptable. Especially when you think about how how much wildlife is being affected. Um, and this, I believe, is a conservative number. 700 species of marine animals negatively affected by plastic waste. It's difficult to, because of the, the volume, um, it's difficult to know exactly to really to really know exactly how many species but it's it's definitely probably more than that and this brings us to our overall point which is um that this ocean plastic catastrophe is is comparable to climate change um and it is an issue where we are approaching a point of no return with the, with the plastic pollution and it it is an issue that needs to be addressed immediately um, and unlike climate change, plastic is visible. It, it's there. It's tangible. It's 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 something that people can't. You see a plastic bag on a beach. Everybody sees that plastic bag, and it's it's unquestionable that it's there. Um, so it's not really mired down in the kind of controversy that an issue like climate change is is mired in, and, and it's not as as culturally specific. An issue because this is a worldwide issue that everybody can see, and and it's not a complicated issue. You know, it's we know the solution with climate change. It's very complex, and there's a variety of solutions that you know we're still trying to figure out. The ocean plastic issue is pretty straightforward, and so is its solutions. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so, uh, you you briefly mentioned them before. Tell us a little bit more about microplastics. Yeah, so, you know, plastic, larger plastic items, over time, they do break down. They don't completely degrade. They break down into smaller particles of plastic, which have, um, are called microplastics. And this is, these are observable pieces of plastic, so we can measure them. And there's a lot of work going on right now measuring ocean plastics. And the work is obviously showing that there's a lot more plastic in the ocean than we can actually see. And it's, you know, it's not, like I said, there's, there's beaches where the substrate is made up of these microplastics. And you might not even know it, but because these pieces are so small, you know, they can be as small as the grains of sand, but they are observable. It's not known if these microplastics can break down into what would be called nanoplastics just because at that point they, they're just below the level of detection. So we don't actually know the threat that supposed nanoplastics might cause. You know, we know right now that microplastics don't 
affect us if we eat fish or things because you know fish are swimming around they're eating things in the water and they're consuming microplastics however it the toxins the chemicals in the plastic is not bioaccumulating and it's not you know being passed off to us when we eat fish however because we can't study nanoplastics because they're below the level of detection we don't know what threat nanoplastics poses but I think it's just safe to assume, not safe to assume, but it's better to just play it safe and, you know, assume that these could potentially impact our health. So it's not just the health of the ecosystems in the ocean, but eventually it, it could come back to negatively impacting us. Yeah, and I'm, I'm confident that as our, as our nan nanotechnology and our ability to research um, at that scale improves we're, we're going to find that it is indeed as much a, a threat as we might fear yeah so just to finish up on some statistics half of the world's plastic waste is generated by just five asian countries so like i already mentioned the united states even though we produce huge volumes um, in relation to other countries we we're sort of lower on that list so the five asian countries that produce half of the world's plastic are China, Indonesia, the Philippines, Sri Lanka, and Vietnam. And, you know, like, like Mariana already said, we've seen these photos in some of these countries where the river is, it's basically a river of plastic, or there's mountains of plastic, you know, in the middle of the town, and there's people rooting through it. Um, and in these countries, there's people that make their livelihood sorting this plastic to recycle it so they can make some sort of money and a lot of this is because you know this accumulation of plastic it's probably related to the populations in these countries you know there's a lot of people using a lot of plastic but also it's because these countries don't have garbage management systems because of corruption or inefficiency or or what have you and the Nat Geo article was interviewing a, a Vermont economist named Ted Siegler who works on garbage management around the world. And I really like this idea that he came up with. Um, I think it's, a, it's an amazing solution. And he's proposed a one-cent tax on every pound of plastic resin manufactured. So that tax would be on the manufacturers. And if just one cent was taxed on every pound of plastic, that would create six billion dollars annually which could finance waste management systems in these developing nations and these are the sort of ideas that we need to be focusing on especially politically because these are the ideas these are the proposals that are going to actually make change in the plastic um, in this plastic crisis you know, we've been talking about these Nat Geo articles in their Planet or Plastic campaign, and Mariana already mentioned that there's these really powerful photographs in some of these articles, and one that really sticks out to me is this photo um, from a dump in Spain of a European white stork with a plastic bag over its head, over its body, allow like preventing it from being able to flap its wings, and it's... It, it, and you can also see that it's standing on a pile of, of trash. And I think 
that's just one example of how plastic can negatively affect, affect wildlife. We'll post a photo on our on our. We'll post a link to the photo on our Facebook and the episode notes. But um, I do think that that particular photograph is one of the most important photographs of the 21st century um, because it really illustrates um, who else and what else is being affected by this plastic problem. It goes beyond human communities and really affects uh, the wildlife communities around us um, who have to work their way around plastic just to uh, survive. I mean, it's like Marianne already said that there's 700 species of of animals that are negatively affected by plastic, but just a couple other examples in addition to that stork. Um, Sea turtles are a big one because they're foraging around in some of these reefs reefs where there's just a huge accumulation of plastic and getting, you know, those aluminum can plastic holders, I don't know what they're called, those things that hold aluminum six-pack of aluminum cans together, getting those wrapped around their head and their neck. There's a a really horrific eight-minute video on YouTube of marine biologists removing a plastic straw from the nostril of a sea turtle. And I think that that video would definitely emotionally affect anyone that watched it. Also, seabirds are... But it really being impacted by plastic because not only are they being affected by climate change and overfishing and things like that, but they're also eating plastic, whether it's microplastics or, you know, small pieces of plastic items, thinking it's food because it's reflective or or for whatever reason. And, you know, they're eating this plastic. They're thinking that they're full. So they're continuing to try to forage, but they're not finding real food because of the depletion of fisheries and things like that. So then they're traveling farther and farther to try to find real food, and then they're dying of starvation because their stomach is just full of plastic. And there's, I read this one article that said um, a, a fulmer is a type of seabird in the, um, the northern oceans, and it said that um, on this one island called Shetland off of the UK, it's thought that every fulmer on that island has a stomach of plastic stomach full of plastic which is horrible and they're also feeding their young this plastic and so then the young just die of malnutrition and so all these things are causing seabird populations to decline because you know they're not there's no recruitment because all these chicks are dying from malnutrition because they're being fed plastic and then the adults are dying from eating plastic plus climate change and overfishing and things like that. So I think seabirds um, are a very powerful example of this chain reaction that our plastic pollution causes. Yeah, so let's talk solutions. Um, yeah. So as, as, we were, as we were mentioning before, um, the plastic crisis, it's not as much of a cultural cognition issue as climate change. So this is an issue that I optimistically believe can be can be addressed and solved uh, by by just some cultural changes, some lifestyle changes. Uh, we know it's not easy, but we have some solutions uh, that are proven to work. So we have okay. 
let me take it from the top. We have governmental solutions like the Global Program of Action um, and the Clean Seas Agreement, but it, which is important, and it's important to um, you know contact your your government leaders and remind them how important an issue this is and how critical an issue this is. But that brings us down to the community and and personal level. Most of the change that we are going to see, most of the effective the most effective change that we are going to see on this issue will occur at the community and individual levels. Um, it's, it's about what we can do as members of society, as members of, as earthlings, um, to, address this, <laughs> to address this issue ourselves um, while we are waiting for our government to catch up because governmental initiatives take time, but individual initiatives just take, um, you can do this immediately. These are things that you can do immediately. Um, and Jonah has actually engaged in his own campaign to, to really minimize the plastic in his life. Um, so why don't you t- tell us a little bit about what you do, Jonah? It's very simple. Like you said, it just takes certain lifestyle changes that are difficult at first, but one, when you start making the changes, you realize how simple it is and how everyone everyone can actually do this. So, um, you know, obviously one solution that we are probably most familiar with is not using plastic grocery bags. And before I continue, I just want to, I just want to, I want to talk about um, something that is always on my mind related to this plastic issue, especially in our community as wildlife scientists and conservationists. You know, talking about how we can make change at the personal level. I look around me, and I'm not, you know, casting judgments and trying to criticize people, but it's, I just want to get people thinking to, you know, I think that's the biggest thing, not only about this plastic issue, but about all issues we're going to talk about on this podcast is just stop and think. You know, I have coworkers that have been trained and um, went to school for similar things as me you know, wildlife and environmental sciences and things like that. And, you know, we, they and we profess to care about the environment and all these things, but really we we demonstrate our hypocrisy when we choose to be lazy, really, um, and, you know, use these plastic grocery bags or whatever. I mean, like I said, I have I have coworkers that you know I make reusable bags available and things, but still they come home with with armfuls of plastic grocery bags and and every time I see that I think of that pilot whale. Um, I I definitely don't have 17 pounds of plastic bags in a cabinet at my house, but I open up a cabinet and it explodes with plastic bags, and uh, just to be Frank, it, it disgusts me because um, I just I don't appreciate that kind of hypocrisy, and I'm not, you know, I use plastic a lot too. Like Mariana, like we were joking in the beginning, we're speaking into plastic microphones right now. Like everything around us is plastic, so I'm not guiltless. However, I like people to practice what they preach, and to look around and see people, not just my coworkers, but a, a lot of people that profess to care about the environment, yet 
we choose to care about the environment when it's convenient for us, not only with the plastic issue, but with a lot of other things. And that's not how the world works. Um, that's not going to help the environment at all, choosing when it's convenient for us, because most of the time it's not convenient for us. And so it takes you know, simple things like not using plastic grocery bags, um, obviously not using other single-use plastics like straws, and cutlery, it's as simple as, you know, every time I go to a restaurant and I order a glass of water, there's some restaurants that automatically put a straw on it, and I always say, could you not include a straw with that? And some of my friends laugh at me because I'm, whatever, passionate about it, but it's that it's that simple. Um, you know, that's <laughs> not that the one straw you use is going to be the one that ends up in a sea turtle's nose, but you never know. So th that simple little action could make the difference in, you know, an individual animal's life down the road. Um, other things like, you know, buying food in bulk and using jars to buy food in bulk, not the, the plastic bags that they have, or, the, or not using the plastic produce bags, um, you know, have reusable bags, or, I mean, even reusing Ziploc bags. I have <laughs> Ziploc bags that I've literally been using for years. Like, you just wash them. Um, you wash them the same as you do a Tupperware. It's just a different type of plastic. And you can put produce in, in that when you go to the grocery store instead of buying those flimsy little um, lightweight plastic bags every time you buy a crown of broccoli or whatever. So again, just stopping and thinking before you use some plastic item and thinking, do I really need this or what's an alternative? And, you know, buying bulk, whether it's pasta or nuts or flour or whatever, you can use Tupperware and, and plastic, or not plastic, but glass jars. And, and you significantly reduce the amount of plastic that, that you create. Or even, you know, we all buy things online. And unfortunately, when you get something shipped to you, you don't know what it's being shipped in. And a lot of times it's wrapped in a, a large plastic bag or whatever, you know, don't just automatically throw it in the trash. You can save that for something in the future. Um, you know, one, <laughs> one thing that's totally demonstrating how much of a wildlife person I am, but, you know, I bought a backpack and it came wrapped in this big plastic bag. Um, and so I, you know, stashed it away to use because I knew I would have some use for it in the future. And I have a pronghorn skull that I found that I'm going to be cleaning. But in the meantime, I wanted to put in the freezer. So I put this large skull in this large plastic bag that this backpack came in. And now it's in my freezer, you know, it, it's that simple. And you can, and I can wash it afterwards and I can reuse it for something else. And, you know, just stopping and thinking before you act in using some type of plastic can really make a big difference. And not only in for the environment, but also a big difference in your life. You know, you just, you start to think about your actions, not only with plastic, but just, you know, waste in other parts of your life, whether it's time or, or other trash and things like that. And it really just has a positive effect on my lifestyle, at least it has. Yeah. So if you are a conservationist and you're not thinking about plastic, get with the program. <laughs> Uh, you should be, <laughs> yeah. Set the example. Yes, yeah, set the example. Um, and and if you're a human of a different professional persuasion or vocation, um, <laughs> also 
<laughs> you should also be thinking about plastic. But yes, it, it's especially important for us conservationists to set the example. And it's just important for everybody to, to start thinking about plastic and solutions and use Jonah's uh, stop and think method. And nobody has to feel bad about using plastic. What we want is for people to feel good about not using plastic. Um, so it, Except you should feel bad about using single-use plastics. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that. Yes, yes, fair enough. Buy a glass straw, buy a metal straw. Yes, exactly, yes. But like we said, it's it's impossible to not use plastic in some way, but it's very possible to reduce the types of and the amount of plastic you're using and you're disposing of. Very possible, and in most cases, easy. So that is plastic. Um, if you want to learn more about plastic, you can go to our Facebook page. We're at Conservation Chronicles on Facebook. Um, we'll have some of these articles and photos posted. You can go to our website, which is conservationchronicles.podbean.com. Um, and you can figure out how to contact us on our website. We have our email address on there. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas, um, let us know. That's a wrap. 